Happy Tuesday, everyone. Karen Fontenot here welcoming you to another episode of Genesis on Tuesday, where we study the great first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, Genesis, where we find every doctrine of scripture included in this book, along with God's great plan of redemption for us in and through Jesus Christ. Now, let's get right into the content. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Verse 6, But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another opportunity and the highest privilege of all to come before your word and to feast upon, feed on every word. Open our eyes, O Lord, that we may behold great and wondrous things out of thy law. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have come now to uh, the fourth verse of the second chapter of Genesis. And, um, you know, the second chapter of Genesis can be uh, described, if we were to summarize it, uh, a good summary of chapter two would be to say, The chapter two of Genesis is a narrative of God, and he's telling you how he did everything in chapter one. It is the, in in chapter two of Genesis, we see that God has finished all of his work. And I get the sense that, you know, I used to, and I say used to, as in, shoot, it's probably been a good 15 years since I mowed the lawn, my lawn. But I used to do it. When I first moved into the house, I wanted to do the lawn myself. Beside the fact that there were plentiful, I mean plenty, and and, and actually an abundance of people and businesses who would come in and bring a crew of three at a minimum, four at most, and they'd come in and in 20 minutes they're done. But I wanted to do it myself. 
and I had one of those, um, you know, lawnmowers that you'd push, and it was a little bit self-propelled, but I still would get behind it and push, and I'd do maybe the front yard, you know, one day, and then, or the front and the sides, and then the next day, I'd do the back, and I'm going to tell you something that after I finished that back lawn, because it was, it, it's so much larger than the front, but after I was done with the back, I would, uh, you know, come in the house and take a shower, and, you know, after that, maybe, you know, come and fix something to eat, or at least sit down with a big glass of iced tea or something refreshing, some kind of refreshing beverage. And I just sit out in the back and just, you know, look at the yard and enjoy it. And I'm just kind of looking at everything and going, boy, well, I missed that weed over there. Or, boy, well, I got all the weeds on that side. And you just looking at everything that I did or that row right there is not as straight as I want it to be, whatever else. But by and large, you know, I'm fairly pleased with the work I did. Well, that's kind of the sense you get there. And then let's just say if somebody rang the bell and came over to visit, maybe somebody you didn't expect, but you just say, hey, come on in. Yeah, I'm just back here having some lemonade and uh you know, sitting back here and looking at the lawn, I did. And if that person would come sit with you, you could just sit there and tell them. They say, so you did the lawn today? Yeah, and let me tell you, I started over here, and then I did that, and, and then this mess cropped up over here, and you just kind of go on and on in that relaxed, repose state, telling how you did it. And, of course, it is always... Uh, shall we say, condescending at best to deign to describe or give a description of something that we do as it relates to what God has done. But, but it can help for the purpose of illustration. And in that respect, that is the picture that chapter 2 Genesis sort of presents that God has finished his work and he is in sort of this state of repose. He is relaxing. He is resting. Uh, even I use the word repose, which is defined as resting after exertion. So, yes, um, God had exerted great power and the strength of his might. I mean, definitely not all the strength of his might, which I believe to be uh, without end. But it was six days of work, great exertion. And in this state of repose, he reflects on and he speaks in detail about what he did and how he did it. And, you know, the Holy Spirit does this quite often in the scriptures. And I would just say that we do not serve ourselves well at all to skip over 
the sections of Holy Writ that we might find uh, or that we might think is uh, repetitive. And second chapter Genesis might be referred to or considered that way among some. So you say, well, that's just kind of repeating chapter one. So let's skip on over to chapter three. But I advise against that. And so another part that many and myself included for years, I would skip over the genealogies. But I let's just tell a couple of examples of why it's really not good to do that, because well, among, I mean, the main thing is because it's the word of God and he doesn't waste any words. And if the Holy Spirit enumerates or um, expands on any topic, we need to read it. But if we study all the scriptures and even the parts that we think might be not as important or don't relate to doctrine or whatever, well, let me just run a couple of things by you. One example is, now we know that there is an entire book written on the righteous man, Job. Amen. However, and I came to know this less than a year ago, but did you know that in 46th chapter of Genesis, verse 13, now this is when Joseph, the son of Jacob, has sent for all of his, for his father and all of his brothers and his sisters and all his family to leave Canaan, or actually, you know, the Jews, the proper pronunciation is Canaan, but they, he has instructed all of his family to leave Canaan and come to Egypt so that he could feed and provide for them. And the scripture tells us in 46 Genesis verse 13 that God says that 70 souls left Canaan and entered Egypt. And then the Holy Spirit sets forth to name all of the sons of Israel, a.k.a. Jacob, among them a son of Issachar named Job. Did you know that? I didn't. It was very recently ago. Like I said, less than a year ago, I found that out. But just in my study for this podcast, let, let's just dive a little bit deeper into that. You know, Joseph had given specific instructions to his sons Manasseh and Ephraim and to the children of Israel. I mean, he let them know that, listen, he said, the Egyptians tolerate y'all because of me. You know, he, Joseph, for, you know, those who don't know, because we hadn't gotten to that part of Genesis yet, but Joseph, the son of Jacob, uh, the great-grandson of Abraham, uh, grandson of Isaac, son of Jacob. Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, was the 
most powerful man in Egypt. He was the ruler of all of Egypt and he there was only one in the whole land with more authority than him and that was the Pharaoh. But actually, you know, and the Pharaoh had a lot of regard for Joseph, great respect because the Pharaoh had enough sense to see the spirit of God in and on Joseph, um, you know, and Joseph was able to correctly interpret the king's dreams and uh, the Pharaoh's dreams and to tell him that, you know, there is a famine to come. Listen, that, you know, we can't get around it and so forth and so on. But, uh, and most of you know this story. But the point is this, Joseph told his children and he told the Israelis, listen, the Egyptians tolerate y'all because of me. He said they are not in covenant and they are not worshipers in the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, um, you know, worship other gods, false gods, and so forth and so on. And he said, and when I'm gone, y'all need to get out of here. And as a matter of fact, he gave instruction before he uh, passed on and went to glory. And the end of the book of Genesis tells us that, that Joseph, before he died, he gave his son's instructions concerning his bones. And then the scripture in Hebrews, Joseph is mentioned in the hall of faith, uh, the great hall of faith in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, where uh, he, the scripture says that by faith, Joseph gave commandment concerning his bones. So he did that by faith. You know, faith, that substance of uh, things hoped for, that faith is that evidence of things not seen. So Joseph knew by faith that, you know, after I'm gone, y'all need to get out of here because they don't care about you. And so... But the Hebrews did not heed the admonishment of Joseph and they didn't leave because as we go into Exodus, uh, scripture tells us in Exodus that the children of Israel flourished. And I mean, listen, they had to take by faith, they had to trust what Joseph told them that Y'all need to get out of here because they, I mean, things were wonderful. Things were great. Joseph had them set up in Goshen and they were blessed indeed. And the scripture goes on to tell us that in Exodus, that the children of Israel increased exponentially, that they multiplied greatly and that um, it says that there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. And just as Joseph said, this Pharaoh saw the children of Israel, I you know, jealous of him, that jealous of them. They're very blessed. Uh, they are flourishing. They're multiplying greatly. And he's saying, you know, if we don't do something to get rid of them, 
you know, they're going to take, they're going to take us over, you know, and rule over us, all this kind of stuff. Well, it's just as Joseph said, what, what happened to them. And the point is, if they had gotten out of there, like Joseph said, they could have avoided all of that. But the point going back to Job, the son of Issachar, is that he did get out of Egypt. Jacob did bless his 12 sons and he pronounced upon, you know, each, each of the 12 of them, their destinies. And one of the things that he told his son Issachar is that he, it would be given to him and to his descendants to know and to understand the times and the seasons and of what Israel ought to do. And so Job, it says that Issachar had four sons, one of them named Job, and Job left. And you see, he went to uh, what the land of Uz, the scripture says, and he was the richest man out there. Now, I'd like to, I want to show you something. And again, we're talking about the value of reading the genealogies and things that too often get skipped over. Somebody might say, well, perhaps that's just a coincidence that, you know, that that can't be the same Job as in the book of Job. Oh, really? Well, not so fast. Let's look in First Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 35. It tells us that Esau, this is uh, Jacob's twin brother Esau, had four sons and one of them was named Eliphaz. And in the 15th chapter of the book of Job in verses 9 and 10, Eliphaz tells Job some things and he tells Job something to the effect that, well, you know, what do you know that I don't know? Yeah, because, you know, my daddy is older than your daddy. And in fact, his father was because this Eliphaz being the son of Esau would have made him considerably older than any of the sons of Issachar because Jacob and Esau were twin boys of the same age, but yet Jacob married 30 years after Esau did. You know, Esau married at the age of 40, but it was another 30 years before Jacob even married. So Esau's children would have been, you know, a whole generation older than um, Jacob's grandchildren. So in searching this out and following the timeline of scripture, it actually puts Job to be Job to have been born or to have lived sometime. Let me see. I wrote this down. Job would have lived before Moses and after the sons of Jacob had all died. So after all the sons of Jacob, the, the 12 of Jacob, not, not all, I mean, the, Jacob's grandchildren were around but Jacob's, after the death of Jacob's 12 sons and before the birth of Moses, Job 
would have, that would have been when he lived, and hence the reason why God called him uh, what the only, you know, he's what the, he told Satan what, that there's none like him. And you go, well, really none like him? Well, what about Abraham? Well, when, when did this guy live? What are they talking about? Well, it's no wonder, you see. So now Eliphaz being his cousin and one of his close friends as referred to here, well, Eliphaz, the timeline puts Eliphaz and Job not only alive at the same time, but they're in relatively relatively enough close in age to have been alive and together at the same time and to be in the same family and knowing the same people. As he said, well, hey, well, I know, I know my daddy and I know your daddy and, you know, so praise the Lord. But the point is that when we dive into every part of scripture, we see that indeed, just as it is written in Timothy, he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Amen. Well, that was somewhat of a diversion in a sense, but I believe that that was definitely worth it. And I just think the Holy Spirit had us to go down that course for a while. But now back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4 tells us that these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Um, these are the generations. This is how he did it. This is how they were generated, uh, how they came about. Uh, one translation says these are the births or these are the birthdays, amen, of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now here, back to the law of the first mention, this is the first mention of Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all caps, Lord, which is translated now previous to this, we have seen God, 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 all throughout chapter one and in the beginning of chapter two, we that is the word God, which is translated Elohim, uh, the triune God, uh, the in the full Godhead. But then this word Lord is translated Yehovah or Yehovah. Um, it means to be, to be. <laughs> Uh, to exist. Uh, so this is the God who is. We talked about this in a previous podcast. He who, this is the name of God. He who, wa he who is says to be. And this is he who is and who was and who is to come. Uh, the Lord God, Yehovah, Another 
definition given by Strong's in this particular uh, 1933, another description is given is to be done and to be finished. Isn't that interesting that we see this uh, capital L-O-R-D Lord come on the scene after the all of the work is done and then this i found to be very interesting i followed that root word and took it even back further to ava and this is beautiful so we see that he is you know the he who is who was who is to come the self-existent eternal god everlasting from everlasting to everlasting but the root or another that is taken even beyond that ava means this to desire incline covet wait longingly to wish sigh and to want oh y'all I tell you something, this shows, doesn't that speak so much to who God in at heart, who he really is? And doesn't that even tell us why, why the creation, why did he do all of that? And we said before that he wanted a child, he wanted a family. I mean, my goodness, you know. The self-existent God, the all-existing one who needs no one, needs nothing. Uh, what, what can anyone do for him? You know, he isn't it in Isaiah. He said he's the God of all the ends of the earth. He says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. And when David talked about building a, a house for him, he said, well, I, how are you going to build a house? You can't close I, you can't close me up how are you going to build a house for me you know and so the great almighty God who doesn't need anything nobody can do anything for him yet 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 he has desire doesn't that remind you of think of a um, the young couple who has everything multi-billionaires mansions all over the globe, jets, uh, everything money can buy. They have their health, praise God, all of that. When you think, well, gee, what could anybody like that want? Oh, I bet you they want a child. Oh, yes, they would. Well, that, that's because we're like our father. We're like God. Uh, so that he is done with the creation and then he comes here and the Holy Spirit narrates the scripture here and he introduces uh, us to someone else in front of the word God in front of Elohim he says Lord God Yehovah or the Jews coined that came up with the name Adonai because they didn't want to speak the ineffable name, 
Yehovah. So it's Lord God, Adonai, God. But here, after all of the creation is done and he is in repose and he is resting and then he is revealed, we see his desire come forth and that he is inclined to the creation and to wanting a family. This is the father side of him coming out, that he waits longingly and he wishes and he sighs in desire for us and for the fellowship. Glory be to God. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 5 says, and every plant. So there's the birthdays of the heavens and the earth. And he's going to tell us about the births of the plants of the field. Now, this is very interesting. That word field there is translated sade, which is fit. Now, I want to just back up and say that earth, every mention of the word earth, even in one one where he said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word earth has always been eretz. And then everything that we saw previous to that, um, when the he called forth the animals out of the ground and the earth, all of that is has been arets. And every beast of the earth again is arets. But here, uh, verse five, when he talks about the plants. And he says, every plant of the field. Now, we never heard that before. We always heard earth. But that word field is translated sade. And it is translated as field, land, or cultivated land. Now, this is interesting, so stick with me. Um, And every plant of the field or the cultivated cultivated land before it was in the earth, before it was in the Eretz. Now there's Eretz. Now Eretz is talking about the whole earth as opposed to just a part of it, okay? It's talking about, you know, the, a district, a region, the whole earth. So now we understand what he's saying. Verse 5, and every plant of the cultivated land, all right, before it was in the Eretz, so before it was planted. You know, like when we go to the um, a uh, garden center and we purchase some little plants that are like, uh, what, seedlings or small plants that are in uh they're, they have some soil there that they're in, but they're, they're, not in the, they're not in the earth. You know, we bring them home and we put them in the ground. Now, then we put them in the arets, in the earth. But at the time that we get them, they're in this cultivated land. Okay, they're in a different kind of soil. Okay. Um, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field and that's that word cultivated land again before it grew for for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth that's the Eretz 
And now we're about to wrap up and it's really getting good here. And there was not a man to till the ground. Now, look, we've got uh, we've got see from verse five. We have the field plants of the field, which is cultivated land. Then we have the earth, which is arets. That's the whole earth. And then we have the herb of the field again. And then we have the ground at the end of verse five. For there was not a man to till the ground. And that word ground is Adama. Ho, Adama, Adam. That's where Adam came from. Lord Jesus. And if we back that up, we remember that Adama means to be red, ruddy, and to turn rosy. Now then, I have to say something first. The margin of my Bible says that the reference to every plant, where he says every plant in verse Four. No, excuse me. Every plant in verse five that he makes reference to there in verse five, the margin of my Bible says that that is an expansion of chapter one, verse 11 and 12. So in other words, this right here, verse five of Genesis chapter two. Is the expand so verse five of chapter two is what happened right there in Genesis chapter one, verse eleven and twelve. So they correspond together. So you see, God is expanding, the Holy Spirit is expanding upon the work that he did. Now let's go back to the end of verse. Five, where he says that there was not a man to till the ground, and that is the word Adama. And it says in verse six, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And that word watered is shaka, it means to give drink to irrigate and to moisten. And then in verse seven, this is where God comes in. So that mist comes up from the earth. He said the mist came up to, uh, and that God works with the Adama. And then verse seven, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the Adama. Hallelujah. This is a good place to end. And may God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Amen. Thank you for joining me today and God bless you. This is a correction to a reference made in the book of Hebrews concerning Joseph. That is 
I referred to it as Hebrews chapter 12. That is incorrect. It is Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith in which Joseph made reference to his bones. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the lesson. See you again next week.